So in these weeks leading up to Christmas, it's, it's a great time. But at the same time, there are hard parts of these next few weeks, hard parts of Christmas. And as we watch people, as they uh, celebrate gifts, as they worship family time, devote themselves to parties and, and good wine, we see that there's still struggles. There's this other side of Christmas. We also see, too, that you know, as people say Merry Christmas to you, and uh, how many times do you hear that, people, and, and yet they don't really recognize Christ in their lives? Or how many Canadians right now are celebrating or will celebrate the holiday of Christmas but do not recognize or, or understand that it's the day that Christ came. It's the birth of the Son of God. Not putting these two together. And we see the ramifications of this. We see morality continue to erode in our society. People of character, men and women of character, are hard to come by. Devotion is rare. And it seems like things kind of keep getting worse. The thing is, this was also happening in Malachi's time. When the people of Israel had come back from exile, they were struggling with similar things. As you read through the book of Malachi, you see that they were struggling with things like corruption. They had people, people of Israel, men of Israel, were divorcing their wives. And scholars were thinking that they were trying to find uh, Gentile wives or foreign wives who fit more the desires they had. That they were cheating God out of tithes. The, the Levites or the priests, they were giving God second best. Things were pretty ugly at the time. And yet, and still, this, despite all these things that were happening, the people cried out to God. They cried out, God, where are you? Where is this God of justice? Where is this God who's supposed to care about us? Where is this God when the fat cats seem to be getting richer and the priests seem to be blessing them for it? You see, in, in this time, the people had just come back from exile. But it didn't seem like they had really learned much in exile, at least as Malachi was describing it. It talks about them, it talks about the priests and their worship, that they would give God the defective animals. Rather than the first and the best, they were finding the last and the least, the ones that they had missed the least. Animals with disease and, and defects. And God in Malachi says, you wouldn't do this to a king. Why do you do this to me? Well, the fact that men were divorcing their wives. And it's in Malachi that God says, I hate divorce. I hate what you are doing. Leaving the promises that you made for something different. It's in this that you see there's this corruption as well. So it's interesting for me to hear the people of Israel come to God and say, God of justice, where are you? It reminds me of a teenager. Not like me when I was a teenager. You can ask my mom, I was perfect. <laughs> but it reminds yeah, my wife knows better. But it reminds me of a teenager who maybe comes home after being away and says, Mom, where's food? Where's dinner? Dad, when are you going to buy me a car so I don't have to keep driving your jalopy anymore? It's embarrassing. And yet at the same time, their room is a mess. Their chores are not done. And they do not respect their parents. They take their parents for granted. You see, I think in this case, Malachi is speaking to a people who had taken God for granted. 
See, he knows the way that they were living, yet they were still crying out, God, where is your justice in this? Why are things still going so wrong? But it wasn't just the people, it was even the priests. Even the priests were guilty of this. They were guilty of, of, they were guilty of corruption. It says in Malachi that, that he came and that they were no longer honoring God with their lives. Then actually in verse 2, verse 8, it says that, that they were turning away from God and causing the people of God to stumble. And there was corruption. I talked about already that they were basically kind of cheating God, saving the best animals for themselves and giving him second best in sacrifices. But also there was corruption. Not only were they corrupt, but they were endorsing the corruption of others. As you remember in the beginning of the passage, it says people do evil and call it good in the eyes of God. And that God is pleased with them. What you have here are the priests endorsing the corruption of those who are in power. So not only were they corrupt, but they were endorsing it. It's no wonder that people cry out. They cry out for God. God, where is your justice? Where is this God of justice? Because the people they saw who were supposed to represent God, the priests, these guys weren't, they weren't faithful to God. In fact, they were corrupt. And so they're wondering, where is this God of justice? We look at the people who are supposed to represent God and we don't see it. See, things are different now, but there's also a lot of similarities. You see, we are the representatives of God now. We, the church. God's people. We are the ones who represent God to people around us. And see, I don't know if we realize this or if we think about this often, but we are always testifying to God. Whether you mean to intentionally or not, we are always testifying. And the question is, what sort of testimony are we giving? Are we giving testimony of a God that that has character? of a God of integrity, of fairness, of generosity, of love and compassion, of justice? Or do we testify to a God who's a hypocrite? To God who's judgmental, who preaches but doesn't practice it, who's selfish, who's greedy, who's violent? See, we are always testifying. The way we live is testimony to God. But people won't buy into that. No one will come if we testify to a God who is unfaithful. If we testify to a God who is selfish, who is cruel. It's when we testify to a God that is God of character and mercy, a God of justice and compassion. That speaks to people. That's compelling to people. So you've got these people of Israel. It says that they have wearied God God speaking through the prophet Malachi says to them, you have have wearied God with your words. And they say, how have we done this? He says, because you keep asking, where is this God of justice, yet you don't live out your faith? The amazing thing is, God responds to them. God responds. And I have this image, and it's not in the text, but it's the image that I saw as I was reading this text of God in his throne. Heavenly hosts surrounding him, praising him. And the people of Israel, they speak these words, and I see God stand up. 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, stand up and he speaks and he says, I will send a messenger before me who will prepare the way before me. And this Lord that you are seeking, this Lord of righteousness, he will suddenly come into his temple. This God of justice whom you've been crying out for, he will come. This God who you reject by your sinfulness, this God that you mock with your half-hearted sacrifices, this God will come. This messenger of the covenant, this one whom you desire, he will come and fill this temple again. Now it's interesting, I watch these people, I watch this unfolding in Malachi, and I begin to think, boy, I think they got more than they bargained for. I'm not sure if they realized the God that they were calling to. Because he says, when I come, I will come, and it will be like a refiner's fire, like a laundry soap, to come and scour away the, the dirt, the grime that has built up. So I will sit like a refiner, like a refiner who refines silver and gold. The God will refine the Levites, the priests, those who are supposed to be faithful to him. See, sometimes I think we too forget the God that we talk to. We forget who it is, whose name we call on. We get so wrapped up, or maybe we get so much thinking about God's grace, which is good, that we begin to not take God as seriously. I know of people who say that, I'm just, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to do it anyways because I know God will forgive me. Now, it's true. If you are repentant, God will forgive you. God has grace for things that we can't even imagine. But that is not what God is talking about, of taking him for granted, just saying he'll forgive me, I'm going to do whatever I want to. That's not what God has said. It's interesting, it reminds me of this movie I saw a few years back. Maybe some of you know, it's called Dogma. It's this satire on the Catholic Church. And there's this priest who's trying to, trying to gather numbers up, trying to, to get his parish to have more people involved. And he's talking and there's news crews interviewing. He says, you know, Jesus is such a serious figure. Maybe we can lighten it up a little bit. And so he whips the cover off of this new statue of Buddy Christ, he calls it. And it's this statue of Jesus with his thumb up and his eye winked. The sort of guy that you think would laugh. The sort of guy who'd kind of make fun. Who'd come to parties, be the life of the party, but the sort of person that nobody ever really takes seriously because everything's a joke. Sometimes I think we do this. We stop taking God seriously. We stop taking the fact that God is holy. That God is just. We take these things for granted. And I'm convinced that if, when we start to realize those things, that God is holy. That means no sin can, be, can even exist around him. Even our, little, even our little things, like our little bits of selfishness, our little bits of pride and conceit, those things are just as much sin to God as killing someone, See, it's when we begin to realize this that we begin to understand that, you know, maybe grace isn't so cheap for God. Maybe it's not so easy. 
Maybe Christ really did have to come and sacrifice and die on a cross so that we could have life. I think as I talk with people, that a lot of people underestimate sin, their rejection of God, the way they treat people. It's interesting, I think if we talked with people outside of the church, most people say, like, you know, Jesus didn't need to die for me. I'm sure he needed to die for, you know, all those other people who really did the bad stuff, but he didn't need to die for me. I'm pretty good. And so they don't think, they don't realize that they need this grace of God. They don't realize how broken they are. So we need this grace in our lives. See, I don't know if the people understood that when they called for God. And so when Christ comes, or when, when the Lord says, I will send my message, he says, I will come. And you tried to ask, where is the God of justice? He said, I will put you on trial. He said, I'll be quick to accuse. I'll be quick to accuse those who are involved in sorcery, adulterers, people who lie and cheat people, people who cheat workers out of their wages, people who take advantage of widows, and people and orphans, children without fathers to take care of them. He said, I'll be quick to accuse those who take advantage of immigrants, people who treat them like second-class citizens and, and do not, no longer fear God. He said, those people I'll be quick to accuse. So they ask for God to come, and he comes like a king. He comes, and they get more than they expected. They have riled up the king of kings, They've called down for the God of Israel and they get the Lion of Judah. Now the thing is, these words that that God spoke through Malachi, they have been fulfilled in one sense in the fact that Christ has come. Jesus has come like a down payment, like a promissory note of what God has promised. He has come and he dwelt among us. These words of, I will send a messenger ahead of me and he will prepare the way before me. These words were quoted in Mark's Gospel. The second verse in Mark's Gospel is this quote from Malachi. Matthew quotes this verse twice. Luke quotes it twice. And all the time they're talking about John the Baptist as the one who would come before the Lord. And if you remember John at the Jordan baptizing people, and most of the time we have this, this pleasant image of him, kind, but when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of law came, he said, Woe to you! Who called you out here, you brood of vipers? Repent and believe, because the kingdom of God has come. He was there challenging the people, the religious leaders of that time. He was there to come before Jesus. He was there preparing for the way of Jesus, that Jesus was this Lord the one whom God had promised. Jesus came like a refiner's fire, like the soap to come and scour away the sin and brokenness of this world. How many times do you remember Jesus challenging the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their time? What about the Sadducees or the teachers of the law challenging them, challenging their religiosity, The fact that they were so involved in religion, yet people were struggling, were were crumbling beneath them and all the laws that they had made up. Or the corruption of of the elite, of the high priest and his collusion with Rome. The fact that he got wealthy off of helping Rome to keep control over the people. 
Jesus came and he challenged the leaders of that time. But I think the point that the gospel writers wanted us to see was that just as much as John was this messenger, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord God. Now I know you know this in your head. You probably said it hundreds of times yourself. But this morning, I want, you to, I want to remind you again in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's, not, he's more than just some great teacher. He's more than just some sage, some wise man out in the desert. He's more than some revolutionary who's come to, to challenge the world. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty God. Last week, I preached out of Jeremiah. We heard Jeremiah's words again. And we heard this message of hope, of God coming again. This morning, out of Malachi, I am reminded that Christ has already come too. I am reminded that God heard the cries of the people and He came. God, sitting in His throne, got down on His hands and knees, and crawled into, into humanity, into this earth, wading into his eyeballs, into the muck and mire of humanity. Our violence, our greed and our selfishness, our deceit and our pride, wading into it to come and rescue us. He waded into this world and then he pitched his tent among us. He dwelt among us. God came and dwelt with us again. He taught us. He saved people. He healed them. He forgave them of their sin. And then above all that, he sacrificed himself on a cross. Think about this, the reality that Jesus stepped down out of heaven to be hung up on a cross so that we might be saved, so that we might be reconciled to God that we might have new life. Not just life that begins someday when we die, but life that is new and different the moment we believe into Him. Christ has come. He is the promissory note. He is the down payment on God's new reality, on God's kingdom come to earth. I know that today is the second week of Advent. We're supposed to be talking about peace. I know that. But I hear these words of Malachi. When he says, suddenly the Lord will come. The Lord of justice, the one whom you've been seeking, he will fill his temple. The messenger of the covenant, the one whom you desire, the Almighty, he will come. And I hear these words, and I feel more than peace. I feel urgency. Like Jeremiah talked about, the fire in our bones. My, my pulse begins to race and my heart begins to pound. As I think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God growing here in our community, among our neighbors and our friends here in Balfour, in Caswell, the North Shore, Harrow, and Proctor. My heart begins to race as I think about the kingdom of God growing here. And I think to myself, I want to jump into this 
God, I don't want to tiptoe into this. I want to jump in. And I don't care if people think that I look foolish. I want the name of Christ to be known here in our church, the kingdom of God to grow here in our church, in our community, across Canada, and communities around the world like Haiti, like the Congo, places like Africa and Asia. I want this kingdom to grow. So I hear these words of Malachi. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but I don't feel peace. I feel fire in my bones. For those of you who are here today and you need peace, you're going through things that are difficult in your life. I pray that you do hear these words and they comfort you. But for the rest of you who have a lot of peace in your life, who are maybe filled up in your relationship with Christ, I pray that you are stirred. I pray that you feel this urgency too. That there is kingdom work that God has called us to in this community. This church, I believe this church is here for kingdom work here in Balfour and other parts of the world. I pray this morning that you hear the good news, the hope that Christ is coming again and that you were encouraged because Christ has come in the beginning. But I pray these things stir you. I pray they set a fire in your bones for the sake of the kingdom here and around the world. Amen.